0: Hey, it's Mike Babchek from Morning Man on Mad Dog Sports Radio, and you're listening to The Bridge with John Lund. This is a guy who talked to Boog Shyambe, who talked to Freddie Coleman, who talked to Howard Beck, and for some strange reason, he made a crucial error. He talked to me. Shut up and sit down. <laughs>
1: listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John
2: Lund.
3: Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast bringing you this sports show. What's it like to write about college hoops and the NBA? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 77 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text the show 24-7 at 929-Bridge-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. (laughs) The Cleveland Cavaliers had no problem poking fun at the Golden State Warriors when they overcame a 3-1 deficit to win the NBA Finals back in 2016, but when two-time MVP Steph Curry clapped back at LeBron James by mocking one of his workout dances with the Kings teammate cheering him on, some folks in sports media weren't too happy about it. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. The Cleveland Cavaliers made NBA history when they became the first team to ever come back from a 3-1 deficit in the NBA Finals to win the championship. David had defeated Goliath. LeBron James fulfilled his promise to bring a championship back home to Cleveland, and the Golden State Warriors were brought back down to Earth, at least for one season. The celebration tour the Cavs then embarked on had its fair share of moments, highlighted by J.R. Smith going days on end without wearing a shirt. Around Christmas time of that year, ESPN reporter and LeBron James personal scribe Day McMiniman reported of the Halloween party thrown by the King that made headlines for its tombstone decorations mocking the death of the 3-1 lead that a dummy was also dressed like Steph Curry and placed on the floor of the haunted house, forcing guests to step over him upon entry. The ribbing, in a way, was well-deserved for blowing such a lead in the NBA Finals, especially after Curry jokingly said the visitors' locker room in Cleveland still smelled like cigar smoke when the Warriors had returned after winning the championship over the Cavs in 2015. Now, while still enjoying an offseason of celebration after beating the Cavs for the second time in three years, Curry had his own fun poking at the king. While celebrating at the wedding of Harrison Barnes over the weekend, Curry and other NBA stars showed off their moves on the dance floor, with Curry eventually going into a routine that clearly mocked the one performed by LeBron James during a workout that he posted on Instagram. The impression was spot on, and enjoyed by those in attendance Even the King's own teammate, at least for now, Kyrie Irving. As par tradition, some members of the sports media poo-pooed the dance charade, either for Steph having the balls to mock LeBron, or for Kyrie having the gall to enjoy it. Steph then had to address the incident while at a golf tournament, telling Marcus Thompson of The Athletic, quote, I've been watching that video twice a day since it happened because it's my favorite video in the entire world. He made a song popular by making a video, and that lives. So now every time I hear that song, that's all I think about. And I've been doing that dance because of him, at my house, at dinner. When something good happens, I pull that out because I like it and it makes me laugh. And it makes me happy, not making fun of him, end quote. In an NBA world often criticized for the friendships and lack of rivalries within it, even the small inklings of a rivalry still receive the same criticisms. After all, the king opened the door for a perfect response from Curry at his next Halloween party, because if he were to make a dummy of Tyron Lue for his floor, it wouldn't be the first time the Cleveland head coach would have been stepped over. I'm John Lund for Sports News, Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to dance during a workout. When we come back, we'll talk to a college hoops and NBA writer about the next chapter of his career and working within the digital journalism age. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into The Bridge at 929 Bridge 7. That's 929 274 3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text into The Bridge. This week, we want to know what will your Halloween costume be this year and why? Some quick housekeeping for what's coming up. We've got the return of five minutes in the film room and good try, good effort after our interview with this week's guest. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about Flag and Anthem, clothing for men that represents a modern and youthful take on classic wardrobe essentials. There's still time to get yourself one or two new outfits to close out this summer. These are clothes made for guys like us because we shouldn't have to choose between price and quality. And Flag and Anthem frankly doesn't make you. Featuring an expensive look and feel at an affordable price. They have all sorts of options from shirts with a tailored athletic fit that aren't too baggy or too slim for a perfect length if you don't want to tuck your shirt in. Along with tees, pants, shorts, and hats, Flag and Anthem was also kind enough to send me along some of what they have to offer, and it will be nice to go out in public for the rest of the summer without looking like a slob. Visit flagandanthem.com and use discount code THEBRIDGE at checkout to receive 20% off your order. They also have free shipping and free return, so you'll be sure to find the best fit for you. That's flagandanthem.com. discount code THEBRIDGE to receive 20% off your order. Now it's time to highlight some past guests and conversations that have been had on previous installments of The Bridge. This week, we'll take a look back to around this time last year when we had the pleasure of chatting with Mike Babchek, the co-host of The Morning Men on Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time. By far one of my favorite interviews with one of my favorite radio personalities, one of the wackiest people you'll find on sports radio. And this week, Mike and co-host Evan Cohen actually filled in for the Dan Patrick show for two days and did a fantastic job with their time both on radio and on television. Here I thought Babs' career had peaked when he was on the bridge last year, but just one year later, look how far the morning men have come. You can follow Mike on Twitter, he's at Babcheck, that's B-A-B-C-H-I-K, and find our original discussion on episode thirty three of the bridge, which is on my website at Londonbridge.com slash Babcheck, or on the Bridge Sports Podcast on iTunes. So without further ado, it's time for Run It Back Same Teams.
2: Oh, I'll show you.
1: I'll show you. Just make sure you got a good view. Get some popcorn. Maybe some juju bees. A slushy. Snow cap, perhaps. Maybe some snow caps. I don't know. You're going to want to be comfortable today. Watch the show. Watch the show.
3: Typically, when people think of a morning sports talk show, they think they'll get the sports news from the day before, what they can expect to see the rest of the day. But the morning men. Pretty much completely flipped the script of how a morning sports talk show is expected to sound from your topics, the segments, the guests, the interviews. Every day there's something different, there's something unexpected. And as you mentioned, it's really just like sitting at the bar with your friends talking about sports or talking about whatever else is going on in the world. To ask this question in a little bit of a radio language. How were you guys able to come up with your brand that we've grown to know and love today?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you know, you say it's a brand. I mean, I think that people just respond to us being real. I think we're just real, right? I mean, there's no, no fake in it. I mean, like, you know, it's a real credit to Evan that he's been able to, you know, changed the way he done, he's, he's done certain things in his past, in, in, in his career. I mean, a lot of these sports talk show hosts, you have to have an opinion on everything. You know what? Evan doesn't fake it. Right. Sometimes he's not passionate about it. He's like, oh, I'm not going to talk about it. I mean, we're not going to fake it. We're just not going to make things up. And hey, you got the, you know, last Friday, we didn't fake it. We didn't talk about the PGA Championship. We talked about chicken weights. That's amazing, right? right? Everybody could talk about chicken weights. And Evan even compared... The chicken wing doesn't mean it was a debate about it, is it an app or, a, or an entree. I have mean, compared the chicken wing to Draymond Green. I mean, man, oh, man, you talk about relatability. So you're on a sports show, talking about Draymond Green, and we're talking about chicken wings. And it actually all makes sense. Who knows how. But um, that's what you got to do, I think. I think that's why it's grown. I think that's what people have come to appreciate about us, that they could turn us on. And whatever we're talking about, you know, we mean it. Right? If we're talking about it, we mean it. We're not faking it, and that's something that a lot of people can get into. I mean, hey, everyone can talk about, you know, sports and stuff, but, I mean, boys, to talk about some of the other issues in life, I and mean, that's not always easy. Some sports talk shows aren't comfortable with that. We're just going to talk about whatever the main topic is of the day. I mean, if a bunch of guys are talking about it at the bar, we're going to talk about it. A bunch of girls are talking about it. We're going to talk about it, and that's right. what it's all about.
3: One of the things that makes the show unique is the way that you're able to bounce yourself off of what Evan might say or how he might act during the show. You don't take yourself too seriously. You're quick on your feet. There's not really a topic that's off limits to you guys. There's a uniqueness to your commentary that you won't find anywhere else. And I think that really helps the callers be themselves on the air, which leads me to another submitted question that I wanted to ask you.
2: Yeah, this is Donny Vantage. Giving a question from Mike Babchick. Mike, out of the entire personality you give on air, what percentage would you say is real Mike Babchick And one percentage would you say
0: is the show Mike Babchick? <laughs> you know, it's amazing. When people do meet me, that's one of the first things that, that's one of the first things they say. They say, Oh my God, you're just like you are on the radio. <laughs> I don't think that's a good thing. That is that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, I think you need to be a little different and to be a little more relaxed off-air, but I mean, I'm just not. And uh, I don't think that's helped me in my marriage. Um, I have trouble turning it off because I, there's no on or off switch. I mean, that's that's me. Now look, I'm like, do I come in and am I tired? Yeah, you know, sometimes I come in and I'm tired, but I'm not about it. And I, you know, you can't really express that on the air, but you know, I like to say whatever comes to my mind. That's a good thing, I think, for this show. That's a terrible thing in real life. That is not a great thing when... Anything that goes down in my personal life, I just say whatever's on my mind. You probably should have a filter. I don't seem to have one of those.
3: Did it take you any amount of time or was there an experience that you had to go through to help you develop the confidence that you've grown into on air and, and basically, as you said, let those filters down a little bit? And put away that rehearsed persona that we usually hear on radio, and really just be yourself. Did that take a little getting used to, or did you kind of have that confidence when you first got started?
0: I always wanted to tell people, you know, the truth, right? I always wanted to be real on the radio. Um, but yeah, it does take time, you know. Coming into it, you know, you have to you have to have a balance between, uh, all right, should I tell this story or not? I mean, how's this going to make me look? You know, is this going to, you know shed me a, a poor light. But um you know it, you know, after a couple of years of doing it, you do feel more confident to say what you say what you want to say. Right. But I think that's because this show has allowed that to happen. I think that show has allowed it to happen and you know the fans embracing that of course makes you more confident. So but um I do think that the callers, I think they feel like they can call into Morning Men and say anything and that's what's great. Right. Right? They could call up. They could be themselves. And I think that's a great, that's a great thing that, um, that has happened here with the show. I think a lot of people have responded you know, really well to the show because they feel like they could be real and they could say anything and they won't be judged it's like a judge-free zone.
3: So let me get into Foul Nation. There's a huge family on social media many of the fouls have Twitter accounts just for the sole purpose of interacting with the show. You've given that outlet for listeners, as you mentioned, for them to be their true selves, to get away from whatever might be bothering them. Did you ever think the Morning Men would get the following that you guys have gotten? And what does it mean to you to have that radio family, many of which have become your close friends?
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, I've even given out my phone number on the air. So, I mean, I talk to a lot of people you know on the phone, which is great because they really do you know my job for me sometimes you know they'll tell me when they uh, chris Russo, you know um, mispronounced um Neanderthal and they had, and Neander whatever it is you know so to me it's fantastic to be a part of a community like that right I mean it's great it's great to have that because you have people and um John, I should tell you my my baby my baby's in the back. <laughs> which is awesome. <awful. laughs> See real life. John, this is real life. okay this is, this happens man. So to me it's been fantastic. It's such a great response and it really is. it's a community. It's a family. It really is. And you know Evan and I and Goldberg, I mean we appreciate that so much because we know that there are people out there that listen that care, that live it and they breathe it and um, not only that they do it when the show's off the air. right? I mean that's incredible, right? It's not just from, like, 6 to 10. You get a couple of tweets. I mean, it's all day long, you know, continuing the dialogue and continuing to talk about, you know, just great things that, you know, who knows, could wind up on the show. So I didn't um, I didn't foresee this coming, but I'll tell you, as soon as we played that clip and we played it over and over and over again, how I you, foul, I mean, it was just clear. We're going to call everybody fouls. You know, people start calling up, calling us fouls. We're calling them fouls. And then that's why. So we got ourselves salvation. So it's, a, it's, a, it's not like the greatest story in the world, but it's an interesting one because we came out of nothing. We were just making fun of dogs. right? The next thing you know, everybody's south.
3: We mentioned the big part that Mad Dog Chris Russo ends up playing in the show, whether that's from the sound bites you guys pull from previous shows or you and Evan doing impressions of him. I want to know what your favorite Mad Dog rant is but I want you to give me that rant while doing your best impression of Mad Dog. Oh,
0: God. All right. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I like this. Um, You know, we just played this recently. I'm into this rant of his talking about Paulina Gretzky. Uh, you know, you got yourself Paul 90s Gretzky there. I mean, you know, would it, would it kill it or wear something, you know, that doesn't show up for underwear I mean, you got Paulina Gretzky in a skirt. I mean, you got the skirt with the, with the, with the lace there with everything else, you know, riding up on there. And you got the cameraman. But, I, mean, are you me? I mean, you, you think Jim Krause would want to see that? I mean, come on. Let's have a little respect here for the golf course.
3: Thank God that my mixer has a mute button because <laughs> oh, I didn't want to take it. away from that. I am a huge fan of the "It's Not" and then he names those football players from uh-huh. the Green Bay Packers offensive line, but you guys uh, have sure. taken that to a completely different level and used it for pretty much anything that involves a category, and I don't know how you have a voice after it, but that's the one that I enjoy the most.
0: Oh well, you know what's amazing. like I'm about to pour myself a bowl of cereal here, and so you know I, you know for lunch, I'm a very healthy guy. You know, I, I like to get the most sugary cereal and pour myself a bowl, but I'll tell you what, it's not crunch Berry. it's not shredded wheat, it's not Cheerios. Wasn't that Fruit loops. loops. Oh, man. So, yeah, and doggy's the best. I mean, you know what? And I haven't realized right away, it's like, hey, you know, if we're going to do this stuff, you know, if we're going to have this show on Mando's channel, we got to hear from the doggy. Right. And I think it was Evan's idea actually take the dog sound, right? To take dog sound and actually create little rejoins, right? So coming back from break, you would hear the mad dog's voice. Ah, welcome back to these two bozos, here. You know, know, and that was genius. That was genius because everybody loves to hear the dog. Everybody likes the dog. That's why they're listening to Mad Dog Radio, right? Everybody loves it one way or the other, and they want to hear from them. So what better way to come back from a break than hearing dog's voice? So now that's why... You know, coming back from break, you're going to hear like a best of clip, or some would say a worst of clip, and then you're going to have the doggy at the end.
3: All I
1: know is, you mess with me, you got problems. That's all I know.
3: Now to this week's guest in Sam Vicini, who is a writer of college basketball, the NBA draft, and other ins and outs of hoops, and also the host of the Game Theory Podcast. Sam recently announced a new venture for his writing career and we'll chat more about that, how he got into writing about hoops, what that entails, and what he'll be up to in the future. Hopefully we'll also get the chance to catch back up with him down the road and talk some college hoops and more when that rolls back around. You can follow Sam on Twitter. He's at Sam underscore That's V-E-C-E-N-I-E. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Sam Vassini. He's a college basketball and NBA writer and host of the Game Theory podcast. Sam, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you?
2: I'm doing great, man. How are you doing?
3: Doing very well. And I'm sure you'll be doing better and better as the NBA season and college basketball continue to get closer as listeners might have picked up. I did purposely leave out what your new writing venture will be in October as a little bit of a tease for the listeners, because I wanted to kick things off by turning back the clocks a little bit first. You double majored in strategic communication and film studies. You have a master's from Carnegie Mellon in entertainment industry management. You interned for STARS, you interned for MGM, you live very close to Hollywood, but decided to make the move to writing about sports, starting with SB Nation. So I was curious to just see what made you decide to pursue that path in heading to covering hoops. Oh
2: man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I know. I was out here in Hollywood, uh, You know, graduated in 2012, got my master's in 2014. Um, The entire time while I was getting my master's degree, though, I was writing. And while I was getting my master's, uh, for the last semester, I was working at Nielsen doing TV ratings. I worked in a department at Nielsen that we didn't specifically handle ratings. We specifically handled everything outside of ratings. So if a channel was debating kind of changing their branding. Uh, like the little watermark that you see on TV, or if they wanted a full audience profile of what their uh, viewership was, we would create that profile and kind of make it easier <clears throat> for their executives to kind of break it down to potential advertisers and to potential uh, or to stockholders or uh, things of that nature. So I was doing that. For a while actually I was doing it for a long time and uh, well I guess like a year or not like super long but I just was writing that whole time and happened to get an offer from CBS who wanted to up their NBA draft content and throughout the time that I've been working at Nielsen and at GM and at SARS and you know getting my master's degree I had been essentially writing about the NBA draft and doing a lot of different things for, uh, you know, fan-sided for, for SB Nation or other places. I ultimately ended up, you know, interviewing for this job at CBS and getting it and, uh, you know, been working there ever since. I think the 20, 2013, 2014, something like that been working in the industry ever since. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's a fun story of how I got here and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to still live in L.A. and still happy to live in Hollywood. I mean, I, I have, I've actually moved closer to Hollywood and to all of the madness uh, than when I worked here. So it's, uh, it's funny that uh, that ended up being the past.
3: You are on several different sources still where people might be able to find your writing on Vice Sports and Sporting News, and this has been something that you've been well-versed in for a while. Was there a point throughout this process, and I know this question thankfully has an answer that's going to be a lot better once we get into what you'll be doing coming up, But while you were doing this and trying to make it, was there ever a time that you might have doubted what you were doing, trying to write about college basketball and the NBA and just keep up with the grind with all the different competition and other different mediums that are out there?
2: You know, not really. I'm not really someone who lacks for self-confidence. I'm also someone that, uh, you know, I I do love what I do. Uh, let's be very clear about that. I'm very lucky that I get to cover basketball full time. But you know, I'm someone who has options outside of basketball too. I'm someone who, you know, if this train ended tomorrow for whatever reason, I would be able to go out and, uh, you know, likely work in the entertainment industry again. I would be able to go do other things if I would want to do them. So, uh, you know, I I'm not really someone that doubts myself. I just kind of do what I do and assume that other people will enjoy it and assume that other people will listen. Uh, I, I certainly listen to what my readers and what my listeners have to say. Uh, I, I very much try and gain as much feedback from them as possible. but uh, at the end of the day, I, I do what I think is what I think are important stories to tell and what I think are important discussions to have. And it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, like I'm not super worried. I, I just kind of have enough self confidence to where I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm talented enough to where I think it's going to work. And I think in this industry, you have to. I don't think you can listen to people who say, uh, you know, what you just did sucks or, you know, this is a hot take. This is bullshit. Like you can't, I don't think you can listen to that. I think you just kind of have to uh, roll the punches and just have the confidence that what you're doing is the right thing. Otherwise you're just going to fall into this trap of negativity. And that's not, uh, that's not positive for your readers. It's not positive for your listeners. And it's certainly not positive for you.
3: Did having that confidence early on help in finding your writing voice? You mentioned that, in today's world, there's comment sections, there's Twitter, there's always going to be people that come at you for what you do, rightly or wrongly. There's going to be people behind keyboards that think they know more about what you're covering than the person that's actually covering it. But did that help in the early going to have a thicker skin, if you will, and just be able to know that the content you were providing was successful and you were doing a good thing?
0: Yeah,
2: that's a really good question, too. Um I would say that the thicker skin certainly helps. Uh, just being able to kind of let stuff roll off your back absolutely is very useful.
0: Uh, that, that's one of, the,
2: one of the better skills that I would say is, you know, important to working in this industry. Sorry, what was the first part of that question and the second part after that?
3: I think you're pretty much hitting on it. It was just the fact that there's a lot of people that like to chirp, whether that's on Twitter or whether that's in the comment sections of the things that you might be writing about and whether that might have had a negative effect on anything you were doing or if that was something you could push aside pretty easily.
2: Yeah, well, well, one of the things that, you know, I kind of readily admit is that, you know, I'm not this, you know, incredible writer. Uh, There are plenty of other... uh, you know writers out there who are stylistically a lot better than i am Uh, i'm working with uh two or three of them in my new venture that we'll talk about at some point i'm sure um you know the one thing that i always try and make sure is that uh i know the sport better than anyone or you know maybe not anyone but i'm at least in the top one percent of people who know this sport Uh, uh That way, when people come at me, I can always have an answer. You know, someone is saying, Why do you think that, uh, Anzo Martin's defensive scheme is poor? I can come out and say, Well, they're really athletic. They're in the bottom five in turnover percentage in the country and they are, uh, you know, it's hindering their offense. Or I can say, Yeah, the Washington Huskies this year, their defensive scheme was a nightmare. So despite having Matisse Seibel, who is an above-average defender, uh, he kind of fell into the malaise of their structural issues. Like, if I can kind of do that, as well as talk about the NBA, as well as talk about that, I think that it goes a long way to, you know, helping your readers and listeners understand your level of expertise within the subject and uh, you know i think that that level of expertise goes a long way toward creating and crafting credibility for yourself as a as an analyst of basketball and ultimately that's kind of what i think of myself as i don't like yeah i, I undertake journalistic enterprises and yeah i mean by the traditional, definition i'm certainly a journalist but you know at the end of the day what, what i like to do best is analyze basketball and analyze where the game is going and analyze mm-hmm. who the next players are within the context of the game mm-hmm. and how they fit and how uh team building works at both the highest and the you know medium levels of you know college basketball and high school basketball so i uh, you know i'm not one of those like capital j journalists it's going to be uh, you know, looking down on people and saying, like, well, the coach said this. Well, if the coach said this, I need to be able to explain why the coach is saying this. Otherwise, I don't think I'm really doing my job.
3: Is there a piece or a project from your writing or an interview that you've done up until this point that stands out to you or one that you're most proud of so far?
2: You know, I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I have not really thought of, you know, I, I don't really think of anything ahead of time. Uh, I'm someone who writes like two or three times a day typically so like I I don't really have a uh, have like one certain thing like over the last three years I've probably written you know 5,000 4,000 things it seems like so I I don't I I don't really have an answer to that that's a that's a tough one like you know I, I was very happy that this year uh, I think I had the most accurate mock draft of any like expert on the internet, like quote unquote expert. I mean it's a mock draft that still like was under fifty percent on uh first round picks for X. But I was pretty pleased that, you know, I, I was as accurate as I was with a mock draft this year. And uh, you know, I think I'm always very pleased with the way that uh, my features breaking down players end up working out. Uh, sometimes they end up poor, but most of the time I think that I'm pretty pleased with uh, the way that I'm analyzing basketball. Like I said, though, I'm not someone that's going to be like, you know, writing flowery language and, uh, you know, doing doing all of the things that, you know, Sam Borden, for instance, today wrote this thing on Darko Milicic uh, that I read. And I was just like, this is incredible. I could never write this. Um But I'm self-aware, and, you know, I think I just try and do the best that I can. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that people come along for the ride.
3: Before getting into what you'll be doing, you recently got to hang out in Vegas to watch some AAU basketball and the circus that is that. And that is LeVar Ball, who was also there as well. That doesn't have to be included in this answer, however. I was wondering what your best story is from that most recent trip to Vegas.
2: Um, I mean, I went top golfing with like Jeff Forzello and Gary Parrish and you know Matt Norlander and Reed Forgrave. That was fun. I I that was probably the best thing because I hadn't picked up a golf club in like nine years before that. Um, no, I mean, Levar was pro. The Levar Zion game was probably the best. You know, it was it was being front row for that scene where. You have an elite-level prospect in Zion Williamson. You have an elite-level prospect in Mellow Ball For whatever people want to say about Mellow Ball. He's still a very worthy, very capable, like high four-star, low five-star prospect in my opinion. Um, you know, just being there for that team, it was unbelievable. I was talking to a coach afterward, and he was like, yeah, I had to stay over here on this other court within the arena, and I was recruiting a kid, and plus, like, I didn't want to fight with the crowd, uh, you know, so I just pulled it up on my phone and was watching it. So there were literally college coaches like on other courts at the same gym watching this on their phone because it was such an event. Right. Um, you know, to set the scene, you would look back and I know the guy who, uh, you know, does a lot of public relations work for Adidas. His name is Dan Cutler. Cutler had to literally like stand on the corner of the court to see Stop the crowd from, like, flowing onto the court. Like, he had to stand there and just make sure that, like, no one was getting past him. Otherwise, there was just going to be a flood of these, you know, high school kids and onlookers trying to get onto the floor. And then, like, Zion Williamson's coach was holding a sleeping baby during all of this madness. And I don't understand how this baby stayed asleep. It was the most incredible part of the evening to me, to be honest. Um, everything about it was just so outrageous. You had Andrew Wiggins and Sawn Maker and Damian Lillard and Lonzo Ball and, you know, all of these celebrities, you know, gracing the sidelines of this arena. And literally LeBron James tries to show up and can't get in because the police tell him if you come in, you're just going to create more of a scene and create an even bigger fire hazard for us. So, like, this, this event was so big that LeBron James got turned down. It's just insane, like that little that little world that uh, happened on that Friday night. Levar Ball didn't do anything too crazy, so that was also a, a nice uh, a, a nice departure from the norm.
3: Yeah, when Levar Ball can not be the main story on certain nights, especially when that matchup happened, as you mentioned, that's when you know that what you're at is something that's going to be remembered for a while. So as I've been teasing, you announced a new chapter to your career last week and that you'll continue to write about college basketball, the NBA draft, some other NBA odds and ends now for The Fieldhouse, which is a college basketball startup that will be part of The Athletic and led by former Sports Illustrated college basketball savant Seth Davis And there's a couple things I wanted to touch on regarding this. First, with what some of the things you'll be writing about for them. You've previously been pegged on different platforms that have run your work as an NBA draft expert and have put forth a ton of work around that every year. I was interested in knowing what interests you in the NBA draft and everything that goes into that as one of your main focuses when it comes to what you cover.
2: Look, yeah, I'm just someone who is fascinated by team building. and by, you know, fitting different puzzle pieces together, right? Like, I think that when people read my work, they can probably tell that I focus more on how these players are going to fit within the constructs of a team environment a little bit more than even just their skills, right? Like, I talk about, yeah, Jackson's floor spacing is going to be an issue in Orlando and in... Uh, Philadelphia, but in Phoenix, where he's next to Devin Booker, it's gonna be a little bit better, right? Uh you know, Ben Simmons's ability to or inability to shoot, but ability to get out and transition is gonna be a really nice mix next to Markel Fultz. And it's gonna be really interesting to see how he works with Joel Embiid because Embiid can step out and shoot, but he also likes to clog the paint and work in the post because he's so effective there. Um I, I think that fit within the NBA draft and Fit for these prospects is so much more important than what, like anyone, I, I think, other than really myself, talks about uh, within those schemes. Like everyone talks about, oh, you should go best player available, best player available. That I kind of agree, but it, it should be best player within your scheme and within the construct of your team. And I think that is ultimately what the most important part is of kind of selecting
3: an NBA draft pick regarding the athletic and for people that don't know what the athletic is as a whole to summarize a little bit it's basically a subscription sports site that started localized in Chicago last year and is now growing to include Cleveland Toronto Detroit the Bay Area as well as the national coverage for college football and college basketball which you're involved in and it's an interesting concept to say the least As the saying goes with what they've been doing, one man's trash is another man's treasure in a way because many of the well-regarded writers who have been laid off from different companies over the past several months are jumping on board with this. And the model for The Athletic as a whole could pave the way for the next generation, if you will, of sports writers and how that content is provided and taken in. But instead of having me ramble about what i think about it what made you decide to join up with this and to come on board with the athletic
0: yeah i think that
2: i certainly have a startup mentality in a lot of ways right like i'm someone who has a lot of different skills uh both in terms of management and in terms of you know writing obviously and creating content um the startup mentality has always kind of been there for me i've always been someone who's been very focused on trying to uh kind of fill as many holes in coverage as I can. That's why I write uh, about as many disparate things as I do. Um, In terms of why I think what they're doing is important and why I joined, I mean, first and foremost, I have the utmost confidence in uh, the leader of our website, Seth Davis, and the CEO, Alex Mather. Uh, Having met them, they, you know, they really have... The big picture vision that I look for whenever I'm looking to join a thing and you know to be honest like I've been trying to explore like starting something myself for a little while but ultimately didn't believe that I could be ulti- I-, I didn't believe I could be as successful as something like this on my own just because uh, you know, my brand's loyalty isn't as strong as uh, what I think it needs to be. And uh, I've certainly accrued a following, but you need a following on a grand scale for something like this to work, in my opinion. And uh, with Seth, I think you certainly have that. He has much respect in the industry as anyone, and it's well deserved. He's really uh, not only one of the smarter people you will find in this industry, but he's genuinely. Uh, one of the best people that you'll come across. He's an incredibly uh, kind person who can get along with just about anyone. Uh, you you kind of walk anywhere with him in Vegas or in uh, any sort of basketball circles. Everyone knows that. And uh, you know, it, it comes from being on TV for years, but it's well earned uh, and well deserved that he's been on TV for years because of uh, his success there. And then, uh, you know, the platform of The Athletic, I think, has been built up, uh, you know, incredibly. I love the way that their user experience is. I've been a longtime subscriber of it. Uh, I love the way that they essentially just trust content providers to create the content. They put it all in our hands. And I think that that's a really important uh, aspect of anything with, uh, you know, with uh, content providing on the NBA level or on the, uh, college basketball level, you have to be able to pivot quickly and, and kind of understand what is going on. We're on the kind of the you know front line of you know seeing where uh, things are going within the media sphere and uh, being able to lean on us. I think and you know having the uh, wherewithal and the understanding of the industry to just lean on us and understand where to go with it. I think is a very welcome departure from a lot of the bigger companies that I've worked for in the past.
3: Have you discussed what? subscribers might be able to find should they join up with the athletic where pieces might get taken as far as feature stories game stories the coverage of specific teams or specific players whether or not podcasts will be introduced to the mix has there been a discussion yet about where you guys would like to start moving toward once that release date happens on october 1st
2: oh man those are all very broad questions and uh they have been uh they've been discussed uh certainly but we're still definitely kind of getting a content plan out there what i will say is that you know me being out here on the west coast i'm certainly going to write a lot about the west coast i'm certainly going to you know throw my hat in the ring on you know east coast stuff and midwest stuff and everything like that but um you know people who followed my work in the past will certainly know the one question that we could ask more than a lot is are we going to care about mid-majors and are we going to care about low majors and stuff like that? What I can say to people is, you know, if you follow my work and if you followed my work for years, uh, I certainly do write about mid-majors a lot. I certainly write about uh, low-major kids a lot and about teams like that a lot. So uh, that's not going to change for me. I think it's really important to cover the undercovered. And uh, in terms of podcasting, my podcast is going to be over there for sure. Uh, I think that they certainly have big plans to build up a podcasting platform, which is really important. So, you know, beyond that, I can't really give too, too much more details because I'm not involved in the intricate decision making that, you know, Seth and Alex are necessarily or really at this stage, I might be at some point, but I'm not yet. Um, But beyond that, you know, I think that that can kind of give it a feel at least for what this is going to be.
3: Right. It's very exciting. And I know one of your main platforms will be that you guys will care about college basketball after March is over, which I'm sure college basketball fans will be happy to see. And there'll be plenty of coverage about what's going on within that and within the NBA as well. And you mentioned your podcast, The Game Theory, which will pretty much remain the same for the foreseeable future if your listeners are coming here doubtful about that in general for that show what would you say your main outlook is or what listeners can expect to hear every week when you put one out
2: who knows Uh, (laughs) i I do a lot of different stuff i talk you know like my last podcast was talking with steph and talking with reed foregrave about like talking about politics online and Levar ball and like the role of the media and you know stuff like that but You know, the one before that was, would you rather have Giannis Antetokounmpo or Kawhi Leonard? Like, and then, you know, I'll talk about recruiting later this week, being out in Vegas and wanting to get the opinions of, you know, more expert people than I am, guys who have seen these high school kids more than I have. So it's going to be a grab bag. I just try and have a good time with it. You know, I I try and make people laugh. I try and uh, bring up interesting conversation topics. I, I don't go like, You know, I'm not doing like a super serious podcast here. I uh, just try and have fun with it, and we go where it goes.
3: Has there been a guest that you've had either recently or when you first got started that still stands out to you as like a whoa moment for getting to speak to that particular person about whatever the topic was?
2: I don't know. I'm I'm pretty jaded when it comes to that stuff. Like, I'm not like someone who gets like starstruck or anything. Um, I will say that. One of the better interviews I've done is with Bryce Alford, I thought. like, Just kind of talking about Bryce and talking about uh, his you know, path at UCLA and everything. I think that that was a really interesting interview. I think it was a really interesting discussion point, just given everything he went through in his four years there
3: definitely keep an eye out as we get closer to that October 1st date and it was a pleasure getting to talk about how you've gotten to where you are and moving into the athletic and some of the different things you're able to do covering the NBA covering college basketball and getting a chance to be a writer in this industry and hopefully we can do it again soon Sam.
2: Absolutely John thanks man.
3: Thanks again to Sam for jumping on the show. We now have the triumphant return of five minutes in the film room with new movie correspondent Joe Burris at the reins. For those wondering, previous correspondent and my cousin Kyle Cicillone was not fired like he might have been if he were doing movie reviews in the White House. So you may continue to hear from him from time to time. Perhaps I'll just start building up an empire of correspondence, much like Jon Stewart once did with The Daily Show. Anyway, for a quick introduction to Joe, we played basketball against each other for years at rival grade schools and rival high schools before our high schools combined before our senior year, and we ended up teammates and friends. We then both attended the University of Scranton, took the same classes... We were both co-sports editors for the Aquinas newspaper at the University of Scranton for two years, hosted the prestigious John and Joe Sports Show for two years on radio for 99.5, WUSR Scranton, and on television for the Royal Television Network. And now in the real world, we both have journalism jobs. The interview process was fierce, but since Joe usually sees more movies in a year than the 52 weeks within it, we thought it might be a good decision to bring him aboard. This week, Joe will break down Dunkirk, the acclaimed film which tells the tale of allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire, and France, surrounded by the German army who were evacuated during a fierce battle in World War II. You can find Joe on Twitter. He's at Duke Mish. That's D-U-K-E-M-I-C-H. You can also read his movie reviews, previews, and ratings at cupofjoe.com, but add a dash after typing out cup of. So really, you can find Joe at cupof-joe.com. There this week, you'll also find his top 10 Christopher Nolan films and can see where the film Dunkirk ranks on that very prestigious list. That, my friends, is what you'd call a shameless plug. Without further ado, here's this week's edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with the debut of Joe Burris.
1: What's up, everybody? I'm Joe Burris, and this is Five Minutes in the Film Room. One of the most innovative directors today in the mind behind Inception, Interstellar, and Memento, Christopher Nolan earned notoriety with the Dark Knight Trilogy. This week, we'll look at his most recent work, Dunkirk. Let's go to the tape. While Nolan's movies usually involve supernatural events or superhuman characters rooted in reality, Dunkirk deals with history. Specifically, the evacuation of British and French troops from the beaches of Dunkirk, France, across the English Channel in the early stages of World War II. And one thing remains the same throughout all of Christopher Nolan's films. They're very good. Dunkirk is no different. Nolan creates a beautifully shot war film that shows reverence to those who fought in and were affected by the battle. To put it simply, Dunkirk is everything Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor wasn't. He avoids glamour shots, a convoluted love story, and blood to focus on the battle. And when I say the battle, Nolan drops you right into France in the middle of the war, and it never stops. He follows three storylines of a soldier trying to get off the beach, an Air Force pilot trying to do what he can from the sky, and a father, son, and 17-year-old boy trying to make a difference from the sea. The cinematography is absolutely amazing, as the dogfights between the British Royal Air Force, specifically Tom Hardy's character, and the Nazi pilots are the most realistic I've ever seen. The actors look as though they can actually fly planes, unlike, again, Pearl Harbor when Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett look like they're playing a video game. Hardy gives a great performance, especially considering he does most of his acting with just his eyes. Although we know he has some experience with this in the past. Speaking of acting talent, Academy Award winner Mark Rylance shines again, along with Kenneth Branagh and Christopher Nolan mainstay Killian Murphy. A relatively unknown Finn Whitehead looks like a seasoned veteran out there in the lead role, while even Harry Styles lights up our world. Nolan also continues to respect the audience's intelligence by not explaining everything through dialogue, and instead just showing us. I love that. The physical acting and facial expressions was all the film needed. I saw the movie on a standard screen at first, but heard IMAX is the way to go And seeing it. Upon further review, IMAX brings you exactly what you would expect, bigger screen, bigger explosions, but don't worry, standard definition is still a great experience, and as with Nolan's films, seeing the movie a second time, allowed me to pick up on things that I missed. Some things you can only pick up on with a second viewing with his films. This is one of them. As great as the film was, it's not without flaw. Nolan's movies have struggled when it comes to dialogue. Not so much the script, literally hearing it. I struggled at points. His previous two films also have problems with this. Tom Hardy's Bane needed to be redubbed shortly before the release of The Dark Knight Rises. In Interstellar also, the score sometimes drowned out what characters were saying. Dunkirk was much of the same. For a movie grounded in realism, it had a couple unrealistic scenes. Also, it ended a bit too quickly for me, but maybe that's because I was on the edge of my seat for the entire 1 hour and 47 minutes. The bottom line, Dunkirk is a great war film that isn't quite as perfect as it was hyped up to be, but it's pretty damn close and adds to the illustrious roster of movies among Nolan's stellar collection. I'll rank it as a home run. Not quite an Aaron Judge blast, but it certainly leaves the park. If you're interested in more Christopher Nolan films, check out cupof-joe.com, where I rank his best films from 1 to 10. Thanks to my good friend, John, for having me on the bridge. Back to you.
3: Sexy. Check! Uh, check, please. We'll close out the show with America's fastest-growing sports segment called Good Try, Good Effort. Here we'll briefly mention some of the instances from throughout the week when a team or player or coach meant well but didn't quite meet those expectations. First up, good try, good effort to the big three. The big three already has the distinction of making this segment in the past for airing their games on tape delay and are welcomed back because of one of their players, NBA legend Allen Iverson. The answer was certainly a big get for the league, somewhat the face of the league, and immediately brought excitement to fans thrilled for the chance to see him suit up again. However, Iverson was pretty forthright when joining the league as a player slash coach for the Threes company team, saying that he's frankly an old man and wouldn't be playing much, so don't anyone get their hopes up. The first big bombshell of this was when the Big Three headed to Philadelphia and just a half hour or so before the game, fans realized that Iverson had announced on Instagram that he would not be playing in his homecoming back to Philly which didn't necessarily make the big three look good since they were advertising such for most of the week. This past Sunday with the big three in Dallas, Iverson just decided not to even show up at all for the games, forcing the big three to release another statement, basically saying they had no idea where he was. Of course, TMZ Sports somehow knew where the answer was, reporting that Iverson was seen gambling at the Rivers Casino in Chicago from Saturday night until approximately 3 a.m. Sunday morning. Whoops-a-daisy. Iverson received a small slap on the wrist for skipping the games as Big Three Commissioner Roger Mason Jr. announced during the weekly press conference that Iverson was suspended for one week so he won't be playing when the Big Three heads to Lexington, Kentucky. When pressed for more comment at the press conference, Mason Jr. reportedly said he just didn't have any more answers. (laughs) (laughs) Ha-ha! And lastly, good try, good effort, Chicago Cubs. After ending a 108-year championship drought in winning the 2016 World Series, all curses that also accompanied the Cubs were soon forgotten, including the one befallen to Cubs fan Steve Bartman, who was wrongly accused of costing Chicago the 2003 NLCS when he lunged at a fall ball in Game 6 that left fielder Moise Salou deemed catchable. After Alou threw a temper tantrum and Bartman was put on camera every five seconds or so by Fox Sports, Cubs fans started to hate the headphone-wearing Bartman after the team then ended up blowing the game and then eventually blowing the series. Bartman then had to leave the game amongst getting beer thrown at him and surely some slurs, then was forced into hiding amid death threats and had his life thrown into ruins at age 26. However, winning heals all wounds, right? So the Cubs organization tried to rectify those years of torment by giving Steve Barman a World Series ring as, quote, closure on an unfortunate chapter. If the ring is the same one as Cubs players and staff, it will feature 108 diamonds to represent the 108 years of loss, as well as a goat on the side to represent the Billy Goat curse. Though maybe they replaced the goat with a pair of headphones to symbolize the curse of Steve Bartman that should have never been. The ring is reportedly worth $70,000, and Bartman soon after released a statement thanking Cubs' ownership and team president Theo Epstein... And also saying he humbly accepts the ring as a symbol of one of the most historic achievements in sports, but also as an important reminder for how we should treat each other in today's society. Putting aside the fact that I don't think fans should receive World Series rings, Bartman should sell this ring for a song as compensation for those 14 years spent living under the shadow of this thing. Perhaps then wearing the ring on his middle finger and holding it up high as he heads off to the auction to receive his payday. Hey Chicago, what do you say? That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday night, and please also be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find episodes of The Bridge on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America on Wednesday nights. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll chat about the chaos in the NBA, dive into some more baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.